Good morning, everybody. It is a joy to be with you today as we continue to explore together the Holy Spirit, uh, what it is, how we relate to it, and how it is part of the amazing God that we serve. So as we get ready to do that today, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Holy Spirit power is manifested in all types of amazing ways. Domingo is a mechanic. Irene is a hairdresser. They have now been foster parents to 32 different children and adopted 16. Domingo and Irene are currently in their late 50s, and they have 11 children living with them. Now, anybody who knows children, no matter how much you love them, knows that you can only do that kind of thing that I just described with Domingo and Irene by Holy Spirit power. Only the Holy Spirit can provide enough of the fruits of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control to pull off such a life. Domingo and Irene take seriously the command found in James chapter 1, verse 27 about caring for orphans. And while most people their age are trying to figure out how to comfortably live out the rest of their days, Domingo and Irene cannot stop thinking about all the children in America, particularly those in foster care. Many of you know that my wife, Jen, runs a nonprofit called Dwell for adoptive and foster care families and parents. She tells me that currently in America, there are about 430,000 foster kids, uh, kids in need or in the system and foster care needing families to be with them. Of course, Domingo and Irene see children as a tremendous, tremendous blessing, but they are realistic about the hardships that they face as well. Perseverance, one day at a time, has been the key to their journey, and it's often not an easy journey. In fact, even one of their adopted children committed suicide. And yet God has provided for them over and over and over again. It's happened in physical ways, such as when Irene was just praying for more physical space in their house because they had so many kids with them. And unprompted, a church leader came up to her and offered to build the addition for free because the Holy Spirit had prompted that individual to make that offer. God has provided through the Holy Spirit and empower in emotional and spiritual ways as well, such as on days when joy was totally absent and God gave them the stamina to continue in obedience. And now they've even had the joy of watching some of their own biological children follow in their footsteps and serve other children in the ways that they have. Their lives of sacrifice have even caught the eye of the secular world. A while ago, CBS even ran a story on them about their unusual and the supernatural love <laughs> that Domingo and Irene have shared with so many others. And as if all of the obedience and sacrifice and supernatural love of loving all of these children were not enough, there's even more demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power in their life. There was a time in their life for Domingo and Irene when they did not have the best married relationship as husband and wife. In fact, Irene has even publicly shared that in the early days of their marriage, she had what she would call an intense hatred for Domingo. He was abusive. 
She prayed on a regular basis that he would actually die. She even daydreamed of ways that this could occur. And yet now she calls him one of the godliest men she knows. Over and over and over, Domingo and Irene's story we see is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Although maybe in ways we don't always associate with our idea of power. Because what we see for Domingo and Irene is that the Holy Spirit power for them has provided physical provision. It's offered supernatural love. It's offered the ability to continue in obedience and fortitude even in the hardest times. And it's even had the power to resurrect what was a destructive, horrible relationship into a new and beautiful one between Domingo and Irene themselves. How about us? Are we experiencing Holy Spirit power in our lives? And maybe even in ways we wouldn't normally expect. I love this story with Domingo and Irene for a couple different reasons. On one hand, I like it because these are people just like us. He's a mechanic, she's a hairdresser. They don't have any theological or religious degrees that make them more special than anyone else. But on the other hand, Domingo and Irene are quite extraordinary. They're not just ordinary, they're extraordinary and not like many of us because they remind us that in order a lot of times for that Holy Spirit power to be manifested, it first requires a full surrender and obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. And many of us don't wanna take that step. And here this story with Domingo and Irene, it reminds us of what Holy Spirit power can look like. As the New Testament shows us, there are times when instant healings occur and risings from the dead occur, and we should expect more of those types of miracles among us as God moves in powerful and significant ways. But when we look at Domingo and Irene, what we also see is that everything was not magically made right. They suffered loss. There were no lotteries won that suddenly made everything easy. In their instances, some of the miracles that took place were through the power of the Holy Spirit persevering day after day through the power of the Holy Spirit, sacrificing themselves for the sake of others, through the power of the Holy Spirit, offering supernatural love, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing new life restored in their marriage as they then offered their love to others. That is powerful, significant, holy stuff. And all of that then brings us to the passage we wanna dive into today in Galatians chapter three, verse five. And I wanna share these words from this verse, and we're gonna use the message version today. And it says this, answer this question, does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working these things in your lives, you could never do for yourselves? Does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you. Now we're going to get to this passage more here in just a moment, but as we have just noticed in recent weeks, as we've been exploring the Holy Spirit together, Christ gives his followers power in and through the Holy Spirit to live and follow him. This is a wonderful reality of the Holy Spirit. And where we run into trouble a lot of times as human beings is that we often want to define what that power should look like. We have our own ideas of power and what we want the Holy Spirit to do for us. In fact, many times what we want with the idea of power is some state of perpetual excitement where we get what we want. It's almost like where we rub the magic genie and the genie comes and gives us what we want. That's what we picture for Holy Spirit power. We want the things that our human hearts desire. And so therefore, some of the greatest work of the Holy Spirit in our lives very well might be rewiring us in such a way that it's not about us, 
but rather to help us persist in obedience and sacrifice to the living God, even when it doesn't seem interesting or exciting anymore. For us to experience the supernatural of persistence and obedience rather than shiny, wonderful, fun things that our own hearts might desire. Which again is why I love that story of, Dom of Domingo and Irene. It's so powerful, but not in ways we expect. But on the other hand, there's another element of this story that actually makes me hesitant to share about Domingo and Irene. And no matter how many times I share it or how carefully I try to share it, I think for a lot of us, there's a sense of, well, that's them, that's not me. We think such stories can only happen among the most mature or the most faithful of disciples. And so it becomes too easy to say, well, that's them, but that's not something I would ever do. Or maybe worse yet, when we hear a story like Domingo and Irene, it's, we realize if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't even want to be like them. Because come on, let's be real here. What Domingo and Irene are doing, it's not a charmed life. It is very hard. It would be way easier for them if they were not doing what they're doing. If they weren't doing what they were doing, they could sleep more. They'd have more time for their own hobbies. They, they would be spared disappointment. They would be spared from frustration of their kids making choices they don't want them to. They could be planning for a more comfortable retirement. And truth be told, most of us would rather be comfortable out of step with the power of the Holy Spirit rather than uncomfortable in step with the power of the Holy Spirit. So keeping all of this in mind, I wanna invite us now to take a deeper look into Galatians chapter three today. And here's the background of what we're talking about. The writer to the Galatians is the great missionary Paul. This is one of the earliest books in all of the New Testament. And at this point, the Christian movement is just getting started. And one of the biggest, earliest threats to the early Christian movement is something we've touched on before that's found in Acts chapter 15. And the issue at hand was how to become a Christ follower. If you were a Gentile, that is a non-Jew, the argument was by faith you simply accept Christ and you become a Christian. However, in the Jewish tradition, the, what, you, they, what they wanted was if you were a Gentile, you first had to become a Jew with all of its customs, all of its rules, all of its laws, and only then could you become a Christian after that. Now to you and I, this may not sound like a very big deal, but at the time, this was a raging controversy that threatened to split the movement apart before it even began, because at hand was really the issue of faith in God alone, or adherence first to a legal system. Faith in Christ alone, or first living into a set of human-made customs, laws, and rules. Now, eventually it was decided that the Gentiles did not first have to become Jews in order to become Christ followers. But now here for these Galatians, Paul is coming and he's addressing them and he's reminding them again of the power of the gospel. And he says, of which they first came to believe. But now what is happening with some of these Galatians, they're starting to turn away from the Christ that they first fell in love with. And instead they're turning to various forms of religion and legalism and customs and rules and rituals. And to that, this is what Paul says then, chapter three, verse one, and I love this, you crazy Galatians. Did someone put a spell on you? Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy's happened. For it's obvious you no longer have the crucified Christ, the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. 
Here, Paul is making it clear that the Galatians at first had fallen in love with the living God. And now they are starting to be dissuaded by false teachers, those who are coming along offering forms of rules and regulations and legalism and false doctrines. And Paul goes so far as to say, how are you forgetting your first love? Did somebody put a spell on you? What are you doing? What's happening? Other translations actually phrase it this way, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. This is very strong, very specific language on the part of Paul. This is Paul's way of saying the reality of Jesus Christ was graphically, vividly conveyed to you right before your eyes. And Paul wants the Galatians once again to remember how vividly the risen Christ was to them, how the risen Christ cut them to the heart, how the risen Christ melted their heart so that their love in him might become real. And that love would change them. And that love would open up the doorways for the Holy Spirit to fill them and use them in power. Except now they're being dissuaded from that. They're starting to forget. Paul says, you saw with your own eyes the living God. And your hearts were enlivened. And the reality of the risen Christ was sinking into your very being. Don't you remember? then why are you letting someone else make you forget? Why are you pursuing much more shallow teachings? And then Paul asks this powerful question, verses two and three. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? In other words, through constant moral straining and human effort on your part? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. Essentially what Paul is asking here is after beginning with the Holy Spirit, after being filled in the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who opened your eyes to the reality of the risen Christ, why are you now trying to do this religious thing on your own human effort? Why are you trying through your own moral striving? And Paul's reminding these Galatians and he's reminding us they had not received God's Holy Spirit through their own understanding, through their own Jewish laws, through their own human customs, through their own moral striving, but rather through the power and the reality of the living God in and through them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because somewhere along the line for these Galatians, it had become more comfortable for them to live into human regulations and laws rather than in surrender and walking in obedience and in relationship with the Holy Spirit and the living God found in Jesus Christ. And I wonder how often that is true for you and I as well. So Paul comes here and he is pleading with them as they begin to, these, to live into their Christian lives to once again live into the power of the Holy Spirit through surrender and obedience and perseverance and continue to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in their own human desires and efforts and rituals and rules. The Galatians had taken a large step backwards and Paul's coming with them now and he's pleading with them now, and again, us as well, to focus again on the centrality of Christ and there live into the power of the Holy Spirit. We grow in spiritual power 
as we surrender in obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading, not when we focus on human customs and desires. And again, are we much different today than the Galatians that Paul's referencing here? So often for us as well, what began as a raging flame of the power of the Holy Spirit within us when we first began that journey with Christ, we've somehow tamed it down into the customs of our religions and our institutions. For many of us early on in our Christian walk, when we first said yes to Jesus, there was a flame within us that could not be put out no matter how hard others tried. There was nothing we wouldn't do for the risen God. Lord, you just tell me what you want and I will do it because we were filled with gratitude and the sense of grace and excitement that Christ extends to us. But then with time and reality, things start to change. That vitally hot relationship starts to cool off and we start to rationalize and justify and simply want to remain comfortable but have a religious tint to our lives so that we feel good about who we are. And with enough time, we put in our own customs to control things, tame things down, so that they would be more like what we like. C.S. Lewis once said this, there exists in every church, and I think this is for us personally too, something that sooner or later works against the very purpose of which it came into existence. So we must strive very hard by the grace of God, I would say by the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep the church and ourselves focused on the mission that Christ originally gave to us. Far too often, we take the roar of the power of the Holy Spirit and we tame it down into a gentle breeze that barely even kicks up any dust. We often prefer comfort with no power by ourselves rather than discomfort in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like Paul here is saying, Galatians, you Galatians, are you surprised that you're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit? You shouldn't be surprised. You began with the Spirit. You experienced what only the power of the Holy Spirit can offer you through the crucified, risen Jesus Christ. But now you're turning to your own understanding and your own ways and your own human effort and your own laws. Why in the world would you think that on your own, in your own effort, you could replicate what only the living divine God could do in us and through us? You can't do it. And then to really drive the point home, Paul lays on this singer in verse five. He says, so answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives that you could never do for yourselves. Does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Or as the NIV version puts it, so again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? Let's go back to Domingo and Irene for just a moment. Were they able to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives because they just gritted their teeth by themselves and they were just going to march on? No, they were filled with the Spirit that as they surrendered, allowed them to be obedient, to continue and persist day after day after day. I think that is what Paul is saying here to the Galatians today and to us as well, to keep their focus on the gospel message that they believed and heard. They were to remain zeroed in on the gospel that Jesus came and he died and he rose again and saved humanity from their sinful nature through his death and resurrection on the cross. 
See, Domingo and Irene, they don't just believe in the trite sense. They don't just give mental assent that, oh, Christ is among us. They believe. The word used for believe here in Galatians is a word that means convinced to such a degree that one can have confidence in or trust. In other words, it means conviction. It's not just thinking about, it is so ingrained in them, it's going to drive everything they do out of a sense of conviction. They so believe that it's sunk into the fiber of their very being and affected everything they do. And because they believe and because they are convicted and because they're cut to the heart and because this good news has melted their hearts, even when life is most difficult, they continue to surrender and out of obedience, God continues to lead them and they persist, and they are changing the lives of all those children and families that they work with. See, the focus isn't on rules and regulations. It's not on moral checklists. It's on the risen Christ. And as we focus on Christ, we then open ourselves up, and we are filled in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, because they believe, and I mean believe with all of their being, they're able to surrender because they're able to surrender, they then obey. And then because they obey, they experience the supernatural miracle and power of the Holy Spirit. Belief leads to surrender. Surrender leads to obedience. Obedience leads to the supernatural. And it's not about their comfort. It's about in step with the Holy Spirit. The difference between experiencing the ordinary or the supernatural in the Holy Spirit is often a matter of obedience. Again, how about us? Where's our focus? Are we willing to obey even when it's uncomfortable? Even though we prefer our own rules and our own regulations and our own systems and our own institutions and our own forms of being good. For Domingo and Irene, they kept their eyes on Jesus, not their moral checklist of what would make them feel good. I wonder what Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, might be calling you into today, church. And, and don't get me wrong, things like coming to a worship service and, and studying our Bible at times and volunteering occasionally and being nice and giving a few dollars to something of God, those are good and nice things. But for many of us, they're too easy to control and check off our moral checklist so that we can feel good about ourselves. What is it today that God might be calling you into that would involve a step or two outside of your comfort zone. And then because we believe, would we be willing to surrender? And as we surrender, would we be willing to obey wherever God is leading outside of our own conveniences? Maybe for some of us to be outside, to be stretched beyond our own selves of what's comfortable, maybe it's time that we do start to give more generously, even tithing and beyond. For some of us, maybe it's saying, I am going to give up some of my schedule so that I can focus on fostering worship or discipleship or community engagement right here in Williamsport. Maybe for some of us, it means I will become an Acts Network leader or a life group leader for the sake of others. Maybe for others, it means I am truly gonna forgive somebody who has hurt me so very deeply. Maybe for some of you, as we've mentioned Domingo and Irene, maybe it means fostering or supporting those in adoptive and foster care and supporting things and op opportunities like dwell. What is it that's gonna take you out of your comfort zone? And then, will you go?
I don't know if you remember, but at the very beginning of this particular sermon series, we lifted up 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that says, His divine power has given us everything, everything that we need for a godly life. Not just a few things, but everything. I was reminded again of this power of the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago in my own de uh, devotional time. I was reminded again of the story of John Newton, and I'm sure some of you know his story. It is a fascinating one. He lived from 1725 to 1801, and as a young man, he was a militant atheist, he was a bully, he was a blasphemer, he was wild, he was angry. He was so wild, he was even kicked out of the Navy, kicked out of the Navy at age 18 because he had broken the rules so recklessly. He was even publicly flogged for his desertion at the time. He was hated by many, he was feared by his co-workers, he eventually became a slave trader himself, and then at the age of 23, Newton was on a ship and it encountered a severe storm off the coast of Donegal and it almost sank. As the ship was literally filling with water and starting to sink, Newton that day cried out to God for God to rescue him and save him. And on that day, March the 10th, 1748, God did rescue him physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He began a new life. He started to pray. He started to connect with others. Eventually, he joined with people like William Wilberforce to abolish the slave trade. And eventually, Newton wrote what has become one of the most famous hymns of all time called Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I see the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit power all through Newton's life. In welcoming Christ into his life, he welcomed the Holy Spirit. He surrendered, and out of obedience, he began to go where God was calling him to go. He was miraculously saved from a ship that was sinking. His efforts, along with Wilberforce and others, despite strong opposition, led to freedom as slavery eventually was abolished. And those words from the hymn Amazing Grace have offered peace to countless thousands in the face of death. Peace where there's death. Being miraculously saved, death being overcome, that sounds like Holy Spirit power to me. See, Jesus was right. His disciples would do even greater things than him in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, church, it's time for us to do the same. I have felt very strongly about this particular sermon series. I really believe that one of the keys to moving forward in this time of anxiety and confusion as we come out of the pandemic and as we deal with all the divisions in our culture is a renewed focus on the Holy Spirit and then in surrender and obedience, living into the power of the Holy Spirit in whatever ways the Lord might have in store for us. You are sons and daughters of the living God, First Church. God doesn't need you to be a Domingo or an Irene or a John uh, Newton. He just needs you to be you, to surrender in obedience, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It is my deep prayer right now that God's Holy Spirit power might be unleashed among us beyond our own comfort, beyond our own efforts, that God's Holy Spirit may transform lives in us, through us, and around us at this time.
And so here's what I want to ask you to do as we end our time this morning. I want to ask you right now, wherever you are, can we join our hearts together in prayer? And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit among us. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit among us for our church as a whole and in our lives as individuals. We're going to pray it right now, and I just invite you to follow right along with me. I invite you where you are to even say the words out loud. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And then every day this week, every day, would you take some time and pray the same prayer for our church and for our lives as individuals that we might see God's Holy Spirit power unleashed among us. So let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come into our church. And come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come into our lives as individuals in you. Lord, hear our prayer this day. And may we, as God's people, experience and be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in and through Jesus Christ. By God's grace, may it be so.